0: Welcome to Utabia, Stephen Chicken here, alongside David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave?
1: Yeah, good, good.
0: Bog standard intro, this, isn't it?
1: It is. Let's get straight to the point. Must to discuss?
0: Go on, then. <laughs> Rotherham United, they drew one all against Huddersfield Town. Massive deflection on, I don't think we can even really call it Pippa's goal. It was uh, It was no, an own goal, a really. Goal, yeah. such, such was the size of the deflection in the 96th minute uh, against Rotherham. I know that you saw at least some of the game, Dave. What was your take on it?
1: uh well i saw all of it in the end um i was i will confess that i didn't watch most of it live because there was another team live at three o'clock on saturday that let me down um so yeah so i have seen the game and i've actually i've I've seen the full 90 minutes and seen the highlights and i think I, i think that there's psychologically there's a lot to be positive about in the playing in that sort of game and actually getting something out of it and getting a last minute equaliser could go a long way with this group of players but in terms of actual in terms of actually what happened on the pitch i i don't think we really learned anything new i think the problems that were there before well before rochdale really um are still there i think things are moving in the right way but it was it was an example to me that they've still got a long way to go because the, the whole idea of this style is that you can move a team round. Um, you can play against a team that wants to sit deep because you can just sort of build up the pressure. You move the ball quickly. You keep finding spaces, keep finding gaps in that defence. And I, I think Town reverted back a lot of the times to getting into that final third and, and just not doing enough with it, not making the right decisions. But things are still moving in the right way. But there is still a fair way to go.
0: Yeah, the XG, which we we banging on about this season, because as as we've established, we want to see when that starts to move up. It 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 went up against Nottingham Forest quite significantly, but it's now back down below one. And you know, a couple of people have have asked me about that and said, "How come it's it's less than one when you've had?" Uh, you know, Josh Karoma go through clean clean through on goal and not get a shot away, or you've got so many crosses coming into the box from Harry Toffolo in particular. And the simple fact is, to score you've got to shoot. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, and it's
1: not a measure of pressure; it's a measure of. I think the other thing I, I I know I don't want to bore people with XG because I know it isn't the most fascinating thing in the world, and I know some people just automatically dismiss it. But you have to understand. It's not just a measure of pressure or how much you have the ball or how much you're in the attacking third. It's when the actual chance comes, how it's putting a value to that chance. And that is that value is based on how many times that chance has been scored from that position by that player in other circumstances. So if you have 20 shots in the game, but they're all from the halfway line, that's not a high XG. Yeah, exactly.
0: So and and likewise if you get clean through on goal and then don't put a shot on goal on on goal then you don't get anything for that. And to be honest I I think that is exactly the point basically is that they are not getting those those shots away that they they should be doing. They are still getting into positions where they should be scoring and not even shooting. Yeah. Um yeah. and that's exactly the point really.
1: Well this is it. You you look at you look at the stats from the game and they're quite stark really. I mean just just looking at possession alone. Town had 69% possession first half. Nice. Uh and then second half 78% possession which is it is vaguely ridiculous in truth. That is is uh, to say they were the away side. That is incredible really. So that that shows that they are capable of of holding onto the ball, but you really should be creating more than one shot on target (laughs) out of that level of possession that's that's still the issue you know the town don't get me wrong town had 11 shots again um and being in double figures they've they've if they they need to keep that average up above there because they've been nowhere near for so long and you know as you've just said steve if you don't shoot you don't score but they getting something out of that game in the end is a is a big thing, and you know, like we'll talk a little bit of the men, about the mental aspects out of it, but there's still that feeling that ultimately they they they've just got to find they it, it's almost I don't think even think it's a lack of confidence, Steve, at this stage. I think it's just about going back to basics, and I think Corbran has probably strip them right back to basics and they're on the path to going where they need to be yet but it does show how long it's going to take to sort of fully adapt this philosophy and and get players to the point where they're just doing things naturally
0: yeah i mean for all we talk about the amount of pressure they had and the amount of chances that that they created they were all half chances and Mm. that you know It's valid to say that Rotherham sat deep. They showed absolutely no ambition to get a second goal after they went ahead. They didn't have a single shot in the second half. Um, you know they had two after immediately after they scored they had two more shots and then they just backed off sat so deep you know their pass success rate was less than 50 percent yeah um, which just tells you that they were just humping it up the pitch into the far corner as often as they could The goalkeeper was just punting it as far and as high as he could um but on the other hand town had uh had what was that that's I think it's three shots in the whole first half, and all of them were in the first sort of ten minutes or so. Mm. And so to go over half an hour without managing a shot, and this is that is a, a huge period of time where, you know, before Rotherham even scored is is what we're getting at here. That that's why we've got the criticism.
1: Yeah, and on the crosses point because that's something that was uh, mentioned to me. Oh, you know, we were getting it wide and getting crosses into the box twenty four crosses into the box and they only found a town head twice out of twenty four yeah. that's which that's is a not that's not great i mean particularly when you look at Rotherham who only had nine crosses but found a Rotherham head with four of them that's that, like crosses are a funny metric because obviously it's very rare that you get a winger or a wingback who's capable of sort of crossing from the byline and picking out a striker's head perfectly every single time it's not about that but it, it's when when you have 24 and you only like eight percent of them actually find a town player that that is quite stark again that to me if I'm analysing that, I'm not looking at the if I if I watch the crosses and I think the quality is there, then I'm asking why there's not more bodies in the box. If yeah, I'm honest, exactly. but getting the, on the ball.
0: This is it. Huddersfield Town were, I believe, the team that put in the most crosses in the sec- in their second season in the Premier League. Out mm-hmm. of anyone in the Premier League, they were number one. I think they were. I think actually, it might be they were number one for nearly all the season, and then Jan brought the number of crosses down, and they ended up being second. But Either way, they were a crossing team in the Premier League and look where that got them. And you're exactly right that there's there's two ways of looking at it. One is, well, are the, are, the, are the deliveries that are going in good enough? And then the other side of it is, if they are good enough, and I would suggest, as you said, that they were. Particularly, you know, Harry Toffolo put in a couple of really good ones. If they were good enough, then why weren't they getting put away? And either way, it's an issue. Mm. So... It's all well and good, pointing to those things and saying, You know well this, but that was promising, wasn't it? it's like it isn't it isn't yeah <laughs> but,
1: yeah, but there are i mean there were there were positives to take they five hundred and eleven passes down to, it, which is is again a reflection of just the sort of complete dominance of possession they had, and to have eighty percent passing success again is brilliant there's there's absolutely no delay in that i mean they were i think they were eighty one percent against Forest, I think there were seventy nine percent against uh, Brentford, and uh, so it like eighty percent against. Um, uh, who did they play opening day, Steve? Remind Norwich me. against Norwich, yeah. So the fact that they're still out, you know, way above their whole season average for last year, and they have more of the ball and they're passing more, I think it's an excellent sign in terms of the philosophy we know they want to install going forward. But it it's all all town's problems are still related to the final third and you can talk about like defensively you know richard stearman had that blip against norwich and the rotherham goal was a funny goal because there just wasn't enough pressure on the player um he was sort of campbell was a bit slow to come out yeah he he was allowed to cut inside and and not pick his spot but he was certainly announced to take his shot under uh, under very little pressure but defensively town are fine if you actually look at the statistics in isolation against other teams in the league they're absolutely fine it's just still the problems in the final third that with with that amount of possession that amount of crosses that level of passing accuracy you would hope you could look back on the game and say well yeah they had such and such a chance and such and such a chance realistically other than the goal there was only the header that you'd sort of class as a, a real big chance, I would say.
0: I think, yeah. In terms of shots, the as I say, there was the the ball over the top for for Karoma. Yeah. Um, I think it was some carol lighting where he, he just couldn't get his feet sorted out, no. and he didn't end up getting a getting a shot away. And he had uh, Mbemba up alongside him. If he'd if he'd either got a shot away or had been able to square it, then he, it would have been a goal. But he just couldn't get his feet sorted out. And then there was one across that came into the box for him as well where he sort of was at, at full stretch. It wasn't quite gazer at Euro ninety six by any means, but he was sort of stretching to reach the ball and, and got something onto it but couldn't turn it in. But other than that, I'm I'm struggling to to think of anything mm. else as well. So yeah, it's I mean, Paul Warren came out after the game and said that 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 Huddersfield are the best side he's faced this season. Um and they've not had a particularly tricky run, rather but it's still always positive when you hear Managers, you know, compliment your team. I know that that's a way of complimenting his own team because they managed to get a draw as well. Uh, mm. Let's be honest, but yeah, I, as we said, and and we're, we're, how many times we get sick of saying we're getting sick of saying stuff at this point? Um, but yeah, that 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 front three just just didn't offer enough, unfortunately. And it's difficult. I know that Karoma is showing big signs of improvement, and we talked about him last week and And Benzer is you know a world above what he was last season. He looks interested, he looks um sharp, he looks focused, he looks like he's playing with a bit of freedom as well because there's was a, su- a suggestion last year that he's a player who puts a lot of pressure on himself and sometimes sort of brings himself down a bit mm. and that 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 might be a factor in in sort of some of his body language. sometimes he looks much happier and much freer, and you know obviously Campbell got his goal against Forest, but overall, I just think that that front three could develop maybe not Campbell at his age uh, let's be honest but and Bender and Karoma could develop and the relationship between that three would develop obviously Danny Ward has still got to come into the team and and we believe he is the first choice and that Campbell would be sort of the, the option off the bench but <sighs> that's that relationship is going to take time to gel as well and I just can't get away from the sense that they they and again we've said this before but neither of us are, are particularly people who are like they need a sign in they need a sign and we're not like that with our own clubs and we're not like that with Huddersfield Town but they need I think they do need extra help I think they need someone who can come in and make an immediate impact and and put some of those sort of chances and half chances away and you know they, they've got Karl and Grant there and I'm not for a second, saying play Carlin Grant because anyone who's listened to Radio Leeds or read my articles knows that I I think they're making they've made the right decision to have kept him out the side. Um, but by the time they play against Swansea, the deadline will the set the proper transfer deadline will have closed, and either Grant will be still a Town player and he should play against Swansea because there's no reason not to at that point, or they need or they should have brought bought a replacement for him. So yeah, hopefully we'll see more out of them, but I think they. If Grant does go, I think they need that signing.
1: Yeah, I uh, Karoma, I think is is doing really really well, and I thought he had another good, busy, progressive game. But he he needs he needs a goal. <laughs> when he scores, you get the feeling he he might have a little run and and get four or five in ten games. Um, he looks does look set to go on a little run, but he just needs to get that first one because. It, K- Karoma is a player who I think is prone to getting to a point where he tries too hard, hmm. um, and I, I think a goal would go a long way to just settling settling him down a bit. Really, J-
0: just overthinking it a bit. Yeah, it looks like, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah,
1: I think Campbell though. The the thing is, Campbell is a really good finisher. If you look back over his career, he's always actually been a very good finisher, but he's always been an extremely willing runner. So he's been used by a couple of managers for the, the the same way Danny Cowley used him last season, which is basically to set the press. And when mm-hmm. a striker does that, then often they become a non-scoring striker, which because they're just not in the positions because they're basically going and winning the ball. Um, I, I, if they can get the ball to Campbell, I think he will score. But again, it's it's that sort of starvation of what what town it's all right creating chances but town have to create big chances as you said you can't rely on half chances to win your games every week it's just not it's in no way sustainable um i think one of the things you're seeing in the premier league is sheffield united basically sort of outperform their xg quite regularly and did score a lot of what you would class as half chances and this this season i think they'll be fine longer term but it's not sustainable you know longer term and i think with town they just it it sounds so simple but i don't know if you just take Fraser campbell out put danny ward in and suddenly they're all right they get five or six more goals i don't think that's the case it is genuinely creation that is the problem no matter who plays through the middle i think danny ward might provide more of a threat in the air I think he'll yeah. be better in the air. So if they are going to continue to, to go down the crossing route, then I think he's a he's better place
0: to profit from that.
1: But yeah, you can't sort of go, well, Fraser Campbell doesn't score enough at this point because it is, it is a creation game.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have made fun of of the stats I dug out on Danny Ward, as if I've made them up and have just decided he's a great, you know, a great clinical finisher. But the 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 you know the stats are there, and and he is a great clinical finisher at this level. And I know that people remember him as a an inconsistent winger, and he wasn't a great finisher when he was at Town the first time around. But he has developed in the meantime. Um, and you're right, in the air, he's not especially tall, Danny Ward. I think he's he's a bit under six foot, but he's uh, he's he's Gets a surprising number of goals in the air, as you say. Um, he's particularly good at, at making those runs to the far post for a sort of a, a, a almost a Meunier, um type header where you put it up to the, the far post, but closer to goal, where you put it up to the far post in the six-yard box and he's just in the right position just to any touch takes it in kind of thing. So, yeah, I think he does make a difference. But this this is exactly why I think they don't need a, a striker. They need a winger. The, the fact that you're saying... You know, you can put Ward in, and and he might score a, some of the chances Campbell doesn't. But it's about creation. This is why I think they need a winger. And I've realised since I've written those five conclusions, because a lot of people still disagree with me on this. um And I don't know if this will change anything very much. But I've realised that a few people have misunderstood what I mean by a winger. um Because I'm talking about a winger in the four three three sense, not a winger in a four four two sense. I'm not saying go and get a Sean scannell I'm saying get a Mo Salah. And I'm not saying that flippantly as a, in terms of quality, but those are, I'm talking positionally. Sean Scannell is a stick to the wing, stick to the touchline, never comes inside. Four four two winger. That's not what I'm saying they need at all. What I'm saying they need is uh, a Carline Grant type winger, an inverted winger possibly. Doesn't have to be. But uh, someone who plays not in the number nine in a front three, basically. Uh, and I think that is a more important position for them to sign for than a centre-forward. But I know that you, have, you would disagree with me at least slightly, Dave.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with any of that. But I think that we we had the conversation in the week about the do town need a striker argument because there's a lot of, uh, on social media, there's a lot of people just saying sign a striker, sign a striker. I think the problem is we've already seen that they're not far at any one time from having to play Isaac and Benzer through the middle as a striker. This This is the issue and i know Harrit. i mean Harrit scored for the b team again the other day etc but it's quite a big thing to chuck him into a championship game particularly when they start to really matter i've already spoke about Fraser campbell that i think he can be a finisher and i think they can provide for him and danny ward is uh, the, the stats are one thing but he's an unknown quantity at this stage we just don't yeah. know how he's going to be can't judge anything on the rochdale game because he got a pitiful service in that game you got absolutely nothing to work with so I understand it I understand it because I think the Karoma we've already seen you don't really want to play through the middle because he is another Carl and Grant and I think you're right I think we're both sitting here saying they need somebody they need Alex Pritchard to play at his very very best and start feeding all of that front three they need to fight better for crosses and have bodies in the box but I get the striker argument because as I said, Ward's come in straight away, picked up a muscle injury in training, um, we don't know if that's going to be a, a theme for the season or whether it'll be this is the only injury he'll get and he'll go and play 35 games unbroken, no idea
0: Yeah, his his injury record, I've looked into it, is is pretty good actually, he, he had a um a knee injury at Cardiff a few years ago, he had surgery on that and, and missed a few months but other than that he's uh, he's generally been fit and available so
1: yeah um but fraser campbell we know can't play 90 minutes and certainly if if you do get 90 minutes out of him he can't play another 90 minutes on wednesday um so i i get it they do look light there and i think i think the model of player is probably what we're we're both along the same lines of it doesn't necessarily have to be a striker but it has to be that wide player who is two-thirds a striker realistically like carl and grant is so because the way town are playing is basically you have one sort of the front three who's who's an inverted winger essentially or basically a second striker let's be honest their Mm, job is to come inside and play as a second striker and then you have one who plays as a on a uh, not a traditional winger by any by any sense really but plays natural side yeah Yeah. plays more as a, a their job is to get to the byline and feed the other two a bit more um so I, I get the arguments for a striker. I really do. I, you know, like, ideal world, no COVID, town have got a load of money in the bank. They go and get a striker and they get that wide play. Yeah. But I think we're very much in a world where if they are going to invest, then they've got to get one or the other. I don't think there's any chance of getting both.
0: Yeah. And my, my sort of my logic on this is people are saying they need someone who's going to finish those opportunities that Karoma that and Diokabi haven't. But it's like, but. Those opportunities have been created for the wide players. They've not been created for the centre forward. If Fraser Campbell or Danny Ward had missed a load of chances, then I would totally agree that a number nine is, is top of the agenda. But it's it's almost the inverse of that when Theo Walcott was in red-hot form at Arsenal. Remember that? That was how many years ago? Five billion. Um, When he was in red-hot red form at Arsenal, playing on the right wing, and then the argument was oh we'll play him up front then it's like but if he's scoring loads of goals off the right wing why would you move him that's where he's getting chances keep him there so it's um and i think it's the inverse of that If you're getting if you're creating loads of chances for the wide players if if we're seeing karoma and dia miss a load of chances and we have done then you want a player in that position who's going to put them away is my thinking
1: yeah and that that's exactly it and it's the problem is town of I would argue they've needed this sort of player really last season and the season before um and the season before that they they have sort of always got by up until last season where the need for it became quite stark because they were so heavily reliant on Carl and Grant's goals and now they're looking at a situation where we don't know if Grant is staying or going at this point um but yeah they can't if grant stays they can't be so reliant on him again they've they've got to spread the goals about but they need somebody else in that front three who is gonna come to the party basically
0: yeah i wrote a bit about this and not just the front three but especially the front three let's be honest yeah That that they there is a need to to spread the goals around the team because and and it's difficult to say because, as you've pointed out, Dave, none of the players in that seed side, perhaps maybe Bakuna, who we might come on to again, um, has got that track record of scoring sort of three to six goals a season. But if you look at, I just look at Leeds United last year, who played a similar system to what Town are sort of aiming towards. It's, it's not exactly the same. There are obviously differences. But Patrick Bamford got 17 goals, which is a really good... St- Goal return, but it's not like he scored twenty five of their goals. He wasn't like it wasn't like a Carlin Grant or Alexander Mitrovic to give a better example. An Alexander Mitrovic situation where he scored even more, even higher percentage of Fulham's goals than Grant did for Town. Um, because you had Pablo Hernandez got nine, matthias Clicks got seven, Jack Harrison got six. You know, Stuart Dallas, who was nominally a fullback or wingback, got five. So they had other, you know, Eddie had Barely played. He got five as well. So they had players who were chipping in and, and taking those chances. And I'm not saying town need to turn into leads and get exactly those figures overnight, because that's not realistic. Um, and also to, yeah, you know, fans wouldn't like it if town turned into leads overnight, but, um, <laughs> it's nearly happened once that was enough, but you know, I'm not saying they need to get players who are getting five, six, seven, nine goals outside your top scorer, but they need players who are getting three, four, five. Yeah. And they don't have that at the moment. and, you feel like Karoma will if he keeps playing will get three, four, five goals this season, but he's arguably one that you want getting six or seven. But then past that you need Bakuna getting three or four five. You need O'Brien doing it. You need Pritchard doing it. You know, you need and Benza and Dia Carba doing it as well. Yeah. And but... and it's whether that it's whether that is realistic. And if it's not, then then it's <laughs> then you that only doubles down the need to, mm. to get a goal scorer.
1: Yeah. I... I think it's also worth saying that I know we keep repeating ourselves, but it is about chance creation. So Banff have got 17 goals you said last season. If you go and speak to basically any Leeds fan, they will tell you he drove them mad last season because of the amount of chances he missed. So he got 17 goals probably should have had 25 according to most Leeds fans and so that shows you the amount of chances they're creating Neil Mopai moved to Bright after 28 goals in I think it was 42 games for Brentford the season before Ollie Watkins mm. has moved to uh, Aston Villa after 20 uh, 25 goals in I think 40 games last season and again if you look at their stats it's not that they are some highly polished supreme finishing machine it's that both were just given so many chances so many chances you know they scored that level of goals and they probably could have had five or six more very very easily so for town to to ultimately get where they need to be that's the sort of level of chances that they have to be creating for what will the person will call in inverted commas the striker who we know a striker is not it's not the job it used to be where you just hang around up front and look for your chance to tap it in from six yards out there's a lot of work that goes into it but that's they're the levels where they need to be aspiring to. And that's not going to happen overnight. That's probably not going to happen in a season. That's the reality of changing to this system with this squad of players. But there there definitely needs to be an upward trend on the amount of not not just the shots taken is obviously going in the right way, but it's the it's the quality of the shots and the quality of the chances that they're creating that really needs to be the next trend we need to see start moving in the right way because even in that forest game and we were sort of fairly overwhelmingly positive about it it still wasn't a game where they cut out loads and loads of glaring chances there was the crazy chance late on in that game where forest were pushing to try and get something out of it and then Town broke and we all know what happened next but yeah, that was another game where Town played well, lost possession, high passing accuracy, didn't create like the two, three big chances a half. You need to really put games away.
0: I mean, if we're using the XG as a measure of that, then the XG suggests that they they did so. Uh, I but I do get what you're saying. It's it's just still that I think it's more just that sense that that when those chances go those players where you don't really have much confidence that they're going to score mm. where last season as soon as Carlton Grant got in a particular position or you played a certain ball into him you knew it was going to be a goal and, and that
1: that xg for that forest game was inflated by that chance at the end because you had two shots from like key areas that would be very high value mm. that's that's the reality of that but it this is the thing we do a podcast every week and we say the same thing every week. Yeah, and it's good to see that things are going the right way. And I think there are a lot of people who are who are very positive after the Rotherham game. And I think that's where we probably need to touch on the mental aspect of it. That for this group of players who've spent let's let's be honest, there are players in that squad who've spent the better part of two and a half seasons being beaten up every week mentally to play against a team that defensively and playing that low and that deep and to eventually get something out of the game that's that's big because town last season don't get anything out of that game i don't think and certainly the season before they don't get anything out of that game i don't think so i think that that helps carlos cobran incredibly really because When you're trying to sell a philosophy, it's very uh, difficult if you don't get any level of result. And the fact they got that Forest win and then the fact they did eventually get a point at Rotherham in that sort of the context of the game itself, I think is quite a big moral victory, really.
0: Yeah, I I think it was a real sort of manager's performance in terms of you can't legislate for a, a player's quality and what they actually do with the ball once they've sort of crossed the white line, but what you want to see from them is that they're putting in every effort, that they're following your instructions, mm. and that you're that they're going right to the end. And they did all of those things. That they, they they stuck to everyone stuck to their jobs pretty much apart again, apart from maybe Bakuna <laughs> mm. Um, everyone sort of stuck to their jobs, stuck to their task, did the job, kept going to the end. I mean, seven points from losing positions last season. There's only Barnsley that had worse. They had a couple of last minute winners but I think that is different to a last minute equaliser and which is why I bring up the the points from behind first because the last time town had an injury time equaliser was the 31st of December 2016 um we couldn't find one more recent than that and this is as you say the, the sense very much was that was a game Town would have lost last year, and you you even said before the game, Rotherham are exactly the kind of team that Town struggled against. There, there, uh, this was on paper the kind of game that you would have had against Wigan and Luton last year, where you end up you end up losing a game where you've where you've dominated the possession. So, and uh, it's it's difficult to go too over the top on it, and I guess we have criticized them a lot over the last sort of twenty minutes or so. So this is sort of the other side of it, and I know that it's you know a one all draw against. A team that are newly promoted and who who showed absolutely no ambition, but I think psychologically, as you say, for the players, but also for the fans, just that's that feeling that they're not beaten as soon as the first goal goes in mm. makes such a huge difference. And I think it's evident that the players are really buying into to Corbrand's uh, methods, and they're really excited to play under him because if you watch footballer interviews they, they tend to be the same thing and it's you know we you know we've got a big game coming up we're going to give it all our all we need to you know put in the effort we've been working hard in training blah 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 but if you watch the preview shows that that Harry Toffolo did I think uh I can't remember I think it might have been before the Norwich game uh and the one that that Fraser Campbell did as well they were really excited they were talking about you know the, the, the thing that stood out was both of them said, we are doing stuff in training and then we get there on the Saturday and we play and we see the stuff we've done in training coming onto the pitch and we're seeing more and more of it every game. And you could tell that they're excited by that. And that suggests to me that they are, the fact that they are seeing the return on that means that they're more likely to put more in to see more return out of it. Hmm. And I think that's a real positive sign.
1: It is, it is. I, I think the next big step mentally is going to be playing a really good side and getting something out of the game because forest for for all of the positives to take from that game you know we did have to say right at the start we're not going to say made a caveat because we got told off for saying that too much didn't we steve okay. um but we did have to say Forrest were pretty wretched on the day so i think the next big psychological step is is to play a side who are decent and informant and get something out of that. So. Yeah, a lot. I I feel like we've probably sounded like we've been way too negative on the draw, and I, I I just I just don't think we learned an awful lot from it. But you know, at the same time, going forward, it could actually turn out to be a very important moment. I think.
0: Tactically as well, it was it was nice to see a few things. So we saw Jonathan Hogg played as a centre back, and he was basically just a centre back. He wasn't a, a midfielder who was yeah. coming back into defence. He, he was he
1: couldn't run, could he? Bless
0: him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, Corbrand praised him, Ty heaven after the game, saying he he played through the pain. He still had that injury, and he basically just pushed through the pain. And he said, you know, not 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 every player would have done that. So credit to him. But he, he the other. Th- but it wasn't just that. It was also from what I understand. The, the idea is that Corbrand likes to have man-for-man marking all over the pitch other than at, at centre-back where he likes to have one extra player left over. So if he plays against a front one, he'll have a straight two at the back. But if he's playing against a front two, then you'll see that midfielder dropping into the defence a lot more to the extent against Rotherham, where where hockey just stayed there. What that also enables, though, is is Richard Stearman was getting forward into the opposition half. He was getting up the right wing, Richard Stearman, which uh, I never thought we'd see. And Nabi Saar, who obviously was on his debut, was was getting into the opposition half as well. Um people have been have had a bit of a, a go at me for for being a, a little bit down on Sar. And it wasn't that I was down on Sar at all. I thought he had a perfectly good game and I think it's 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 already clear that he's a step up on what they had on the ball that you know at centre back. And I think it's been a while since Town have seen a proper ball playing centre back and and I think it's been a bit of a revelation to to see Nabi Sarr come into the side and go like, oh, he can actually pass. Mm. Um because uh, someone suggested Zanka was probably the the last last time you saw that when when he was playing well. Um, but um, I I also thought he was slightly not quite at full speed, which is not a criticism because he's had a preseason that's consisted of two weeks on a on an exercise bike in his hotel room and then seven days on a training pitch. So it's uh, it's not a criticism at all to say he might have been slightly rusty. And I'm basing that, to be honest, on. I've seen clips of him on Y Scout. I've watched a couple of, you know, um halves of games of his to see what he was about. And he is capable of doing more than he did against Rotherham. Um I thought there are a few times where he rushed a ball forward rather than sort of staying patient and keeping keeping his uh because he was getting closed down and he would just rush a ball forward and his passing accuracy on those long balls was not great, to be honest. But the other thing is that he was playing directly behind Janinho Bacuna, who just didn't offer enough of an option to him, to be honest. And also the, defe- the, the attack was getting pulled too deep. We had Alex Pritchard playing as a number 10 um, against Forest and he was sort of bringing the midfield forward with him. But against Rotherham without him there, and particularly with Hoggy coming into the, the 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 centre back and then basically playing a 3-4-3. Campbell had to drop deep to try and get on the ball and that pulled the rest of the front line back as well. So that wasn't ideal and I, I think it probably made uh, some of Sar limited the effectiveness of some of Sars balls forward and limited the effectiveness of, of Kara Lighting as well, who I thought had a perfectly good game, but but was too quiet. He didn't didn't get they didn't get him on the ball enough but for my liking. And they need to find a way to involve the midfield a bit more. But I think overall we're seeing that tactical shape come together and start to work because that's the first time we've seen the centre backs getting into the opposition half since pre-season, really.
1: Yeah, I th- I think Stearman is better on the ball than a lot of people give him credit for, to be fair. Mm. Um but Saar will do that. Saar loves one if if you look over uh you know you've looked over his clips and stuff one of the things he absolutely loves to do is to take the ball off a striker or an opposition player and just run into that space behind them um i mean he he scored a couple of goals last season you'll have seen them steve where he actually ends up in the striker's position in the penalty area so he is a, a he is a defender who wants to play forward but I, I was in your camp, I thought he was a little bit rusty, but very, very good, you know, so yeah, that can only mean that it, at his best and when he's up to speed, he's going to be a very, very serviceable player there. But I, I think we need to talk about Bakuna because he looks uninterested again to me. Um, it's that body language thing again of, of sort of jogging when he should be sprinting, sprinting when he should be jogging. Everything just seems half a second off and i'm really at the point where i i mean i i'd potentially just try matty daly there and or or one of the or somebody else to be frank because he looks like he's back in that junior Bacuna mode of needing a bit of a kick up the bum again which is what danny cowley managed to give him and he returned and he was absolutely brilliant for like seven or eight games yeah, he was
0: exactly like this at the start of last season. Actually, when I've when I've looked back at sort of yeah. the player ratings, um, and that's how he ended up on the bench under the Cowleys, and then he became that impact sub that meant they couldn't not start him really. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I looked through the stats after the weekend, I didn't get a great impression of him from watching him, and then that only sort of deepened when I looked at the stats afterwards. He had the worst passing accuracy of any town, any of town's starters. Seventeen out of twenty eight of his passes found their man. That's about. 60% and there were a few of those sort of st- stupid heels to absolutely nobody um in there as well which is even more frustrating none of his passes created chances for anyone else which if you're going to have a low passing accuracy you want it to be because you're playing risky you're passes risks, yeah yeah but they weren't he was just sloppy he didn't make a single tackle or a single interception and he didn't win a single ball mm. in the air mm. so so what was he there for basically mm. um and I know that that we've we've hammered him quite a lot but i i think we we've kind of had to because again it's it's just to sound like a broken record we know that he's got talent and we know that he can do the job and the 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 stupid thing is that the best performance he's had was against forest where he played half the game as a a very very deep line number six Mm -hmm. um just because that that forced him to to keep things simple and be more disciplined and yeah, it's. I mean, it's one thing when you're saying, "Oh well, Lewis O'Brien or or Alex Pritchard's back. He's not going to start." But it's another thing when you're saying, "Do you know what? It's probably time to give one of the teenagers a chance. Yeah, you know, give give Matty Daly or Ben Jackson a chance."
1: His talent ceiling, I would argue, is higher than anybody else in this squad. That's that's the thing. That's the reality. And I think that the um, the the frustration comes from when you know he's not getting anywhere near where where he should be. Um, and it's i don't know if it's an attitude issue or an application issue or what but he 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 should be better than this because he he genuinely has all the talent in the world he can do anything you want with a football so it's incredibly frustrating that we're back in this world, and I think that I think that Corbin will be looking at that, and I I wouldn't be surprised to see him bung back on the bench or or given given a little bit of a rocket to try and get him going again because it's clearly something he needs. It's clearly something he needs to get going every now and then. Um, and when he was good under the Cowleys, he was he he was absolutely brilliant. He came on and kept changing the games. And then when they started him in the couple of games, he was just absolutely brilliant. So it's in there. It's absolutely in there. Um, but he's he's got a he's he's got to show more because that position, as you, as we've just talked about, doing the the tactical analysis etc. Midfield is so important. <laughs> It's so important to this system going forward and you can't afford to sort of carry a passenger. And that was the key thing you said there, Steve. You Your passing accuracy might be down, but it's because you're taking risks, because you're trying to break the lines, because you're trying to get, you're trying to anticipate where other people might run into space. When it's just because you're being sloppy, that will be driving the manager absolutely mad, you would hope. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you certainly would hope. And and I don't think he yeah I don't think he starts when Lewis O'Brien is back fit and I don't I nah. think I think possibly he wouldn't even have started that game if Alex Pritchard was fit I, I think he might have gone with I think Hogan and and, um, and and Pritchard instead but yeah it's the Rangers made an offer for him a loan offer and they weren't in a position to make that into a permanent offer uh, but I I don't know whether Town would have taken a permanent offer although obviously everyone has a price. But I do know that that loan offer wasn't attractive just because they've only got sort of five midfielders and, and three of them have had sort of recurring injury problems over the last couple of years to various extents uh, when, you, when you're when you talking about Pritchard and Hogg and, and I think. So when you're playing a midfield three, you can't afford to sort of have, you know, find yourself with, with sort of only three fit senior players. So they couldn't let him go out. But it, it does... I, if they had been in a position to send him out, if they'd had just one more player for that role, then I would have said, send him in a heartbeat because he just looks like he needs a bit of a change of scenery. Mm. Um, and I think a, a year at Rangers might have, have done him a bit of good. Someone asked me this in the Q&A, which got me thinking about it. And it's like, actually, yeah, I think maybe a year away could have done good for him and he could have come back and you know found himself a bit more. But, you know, that's it's not going to happen now, unfortunately. Um, so they need to find a way to to make it work if he is going to stay, because it's not working at the moment, unfortunately. No. Um, We should also move on to deadline day, speaking of which, uh, or deadline day in... I'm doing the finger quotes thing there. Yeah. Uh... Because I mean, it was it was not literally nothing happened, um, and not just Huddersfield Town, just sort of across the championship, there was there was not much in, and we would expected that to be honest, because uh, it was only the international transfers that that are off the table now, um, and we can still trade with the rest of the FL, we can still trade with the Premier League up until next Friday, so Friday the sixteenth of October, five pm is when the window closes, and that's that's when they need to get all these deals over the line by and it means that we're not going to see any more carol itings or pippers going into the side from abroad but it means that we could still see premier league loans for instance and we talked about that a bit a few weeks ago or we could see you know more harry toffolos coming from league one or we could see trades with with other championship clubs but it remains the case you said on this podcast recently dave that the outs are probably more important than the ins at this stage and that remains the case with uh, Terence Congolo and Carlin Grant still at the club.
1: Yeah, Congolo we know failed a medical at Sheffield United. um, So
0: we're led to believe, yeah.
1: And uh, we know Fulham were interested, but they seemed to switch their... I think the sense I got from speaking to a couple of people who know Fulham quite well is that they realised very, very quickly that things were going very, very wrong and they wanted to move on to some slightly more higher profile maybe more proven defenders than terence Congolo, which i think is probably fair enough in their position really but i think congolo slightly more so than grant represents a little bit of a problem because i i I don't know if anybody is going to take him now in the next couple of weeks because if he if he wasn't fit enough to pass that medical at sheffield united i know there are other clubs who are not quite so like uh, it's quite so stringent on their medical process or they're willing to allow certain parameters of injury through um but i just i don't know i don't know if they're going to be able to get him off the wage bill and i think in a way Congolo's wage is a lot more important than grant's because if grant doesn't go you can still use grant in this squad and still yeah he he's uh he's got a good attitude from what we're told he's he's not been agitating. He's not kicked off. But it's not like he's gone on strike or anything like that. He he no. I mean he'll he want wa- to play. He'll want to play, won't he? Yeah.
0: He he wants his move. So I don't think he's exactly going to be you know over the moon if come seventeenth of October he's still a Huddersfield Town player but I I understand that yeah everyone gets the situation and there's going to be no animosity if it doesn't happen everyone knows Yeah where they from, start with it.
1: from what we believe I mean we can't go into everything but from what we believe the issues are not with Huddersfield town here so uh, Grant will understand that and I think he's the exact level of character who will respect that and you can get more out of him whereas with Congolo I think it would be a big decision to put him anywhere near this squad again realistically
0: Yeah yeah. I mean and we don't even know when he's gonna be fit yet. And that that might be part of the issue and this might be part mm-hmm. of the medical because it is, you know, medical science is still does have a degree of subjectivity, particularly when it comes to sort of sports science. And, you know, it, it if the manager is saying the medical could be, is he gonna be fit to play by the end of October? Uh and if the answer is no, then then they'll say, Well, he's failed the medical or it could be, you know, is he gonna be fit to play by the end of December? <laughs> um and, and those are two very different things and every club will have their own different needs and criteria around that.
1: And it makes a loan difficult because if you're, you know, a loan period may be shortened anyway. So if somebody just wanted to take him up until January, for instance, to then have a look and potentially have an option to extend that loan until the end of the season. If he can't play until November, <laughs> there's, there's, yeah. you may as well go and look elsewhere and get somewhere someone else. So that's that's a tricky one. The... the the Grant one, I think, I I still think there is a chance he goes. To be honest, because I think he's just goals are such a such a valuable commodity in football that I well, I could still see somebody, you know, not even necessarily West Brom. I could still see somebody coming back and offering proper money for him. But I just the 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 more and more I look at it, and the more and more I think about it, I just I I think Town of you January is going to be the first time they're going to get the chance to. To try again with Congolo shifting him out. Yeah,
0: it, it feels that way to me as well. And I, I know they'll they'll still be trying to get him out and as we say it could still happen. Um but yeah, I mean, if you ask me is he gonna still be here? Come the Swansea game, I would, I would suggest he probably will be Congolo. That is Grant, as you say, I think is a different matter. I, I still think with West Brom, even, uh, and we believe there are other clubs interested, by the way. But <coughs> West Brom have obviously had the firmest interest. I think they are. I think everyone is tr- motivated to get that move done, which still makes me think that that it does happen. Um, I, I might be mistaken on that, but I mean, as we've been recording, they've, they've put out that Hal Robson-Kanu has broken his arm. So, right and they're trying to get Kenneth Zahor out, they're trying to get Charlie Austin out, so... They're, they're, they were already short on strikers, and now they're even shorter on strikers, so yeah. they're even uh, more motivated to try and get it done.
1: This is it, and I think they were close to the move on Austin, who's I think off to Derby on loan. Yeah. Um, And so I saw there were there's about three clubs who are... Yeah,
0: Sheffield Wednesday, I think, are hopeful, though.
1: Yeah, they, put it this way, there's certainly enough interest in there to make you think that within two weeks he's, he's definitely going to be off somewhere. So I I can still see the grant deal going through, and I think if the grant deal goes through, I think it just gives town a level of. It's not necessarily as much money off the wage bill. Well, we know it's not as much money off the wage bill as getting Congolo would be, but it does give them some level that they could go and potentially reinvest a player somewhere. But which there's... is
0: exactly why they're holding out for that big fee up front, by the way, because yeah. that has been the the issue is is the structure of the deal and 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 getting money next year. Uh, is not worth as, as much of them as money this year I mean it never is but particularly in this uh, in this climate
1: yeah but I, I was I've been chatting to a few people about the championship what the sort of transfer lo- landscape looks like and that's been the big difference the the reason the sort of the, the, the business hasn't been as brisk and there just hasn't been the same level of, of movement is because the championship clubs and league one and league two clubs and everybody else, they want money up front. So if if a Premier League team comes in and does what they have historically done, which is you know somebody like a Bournemouth with billing saying, yeah, we want him, but we want to pay for him over three years or four years, or we're not going to pay anything now, but in the summer we'll give you some. It, it's just not going to happen because it doesn't do <laughs> it doesn't do the selling club any good whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So I think Town are actually right to hold their nerve on that. Um, but I think it still might happen, and then who knows? I I my gut feeling is I think over this this couple of weeks you might see quite a lot of horse trading going on. I think there might be quite a few loans, potentially even a couple of swap deals, which, as we know, are one of the best thing in football. Um, <laughs> but I, I I think that champ, certainly championship speaking, the 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 international window closing was never really going to affect town much anyway. I don't think they were sort of lining up. Three more pippers and another Flo and I, or anyone like that. So, so yeah. So I wouldn't. Not that I would. I wouldn't. I'd ignore the fact the window's closed, but I just don't think it was ever going to be a real concern to Huddersfield Town.
0: No, I I would agree with that, and we'll we'll see what they do. I think obviously the sooner they get the grant deal done, probably the better, because gives you more time. You know, they'll have a list of targets who are ready. They're ready to bring in as and when. Um, and we know we know that they were after Chris Willock which who's obviously now gone to QPR. that would have been an international transfer anyway, but we know they were after him, which suggests that they are at least looking at, at attacking options and they do want to sign someone for that role. So it is, uh, it, I think we will hopefully, if Grant does go, we will hopefully get that signing back in return to give that extra bit of help, the attack. Um, but
1: I, I, I th- think I th- they might, the the premier league loan thing. I I think they might end up working that one way or another. I just, I I think that a lot of Premier League clubs have been holding off sending players out on loan as well because I think that obviously it's been a very weird window and there has been if you look at some of the Premier League squads there has been a sort of move to try and include the, the higher end of their development scale whereas before they may have gone and bought a player for eight nine million quid which sounds absolutely crazy to say is next to nothing but it, that's that's sort of the difference so i think now they will have a list of right okay well we have got a couple of players who we now want to go out and get a bit of experience and i'll it, even if they get that grant free i wouldn't be surprised if it's a loan rather than a, a transfer yeah. at, at, at this sort of quite short notice
0: yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, we know that they are—they don't want to do quite the number of loans they did last year if they can help it. But and I agree with the principle for that, which is they don't want to have loans pl- plugging up s- slots that that a Matty Daly or a you know a, a Jaden Brown could fill instead. Um, but they have also said that if a player is like an elite level, so, like they had with mm. Smith Rowe, where it's like, well, we're never yeah. going to get anyone this good other than on loan, they will still do those kinds of of loans. Um, so i think that's that's i agree with you i imagine that's what they're going to be looking at
1: why wouldn't you yeah exactly Uh, ultimately so yeah so yeah so i still think there might be some business to be done but who who knows really because it is i don't think you can say that this is a weird transfer window enough if i'm brutally (laughs) honest
0: yeah we should talk we touched on sort of finances there and we should talk a little bit about sort of the appearances that that phil hodgkinson and mark devlin have done on Talksport and and bbc uh radio 4 and bbc news as well um because people are asking is is this any an indication that the club are in sort of financial trouble that they are pushing quite hard for this sort of government intervention and uh, or premier league intervention and for someone to sort out some kind of bailout and obviously i've i've raised this issue with with the club and they they insist that it's not they insist that they're still sort of financially stable and that's been the message since the the coronavirus started and hopefully we'll we'll be able to get more out of the the club that we can put on on the public record in in due course um but i i believe that the club feel like it's important to sort of put this point of view forward and that someone does it because we've seen a lot of sort of league 1 and league 2 clubs have been talking about this kind of thing but I don't think we've seen many championship clubs doing it to be honest this is a the the idea of a bailout and the idea that 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 either the government or the premier league need to do more to help the rest of the football pyramid is an is a position that I argued very strongly for when this when this coronavirus pandemic started back in March, if you go back at and look at some of the articles I read in, in March and April, because no one read it at the time uh, that uh, you know this was a position that I was putting forward that this is something that needed to happen, because I still think there are people who, who are not grasping quite the depth of the coronavirus mm. pandemic and the, the effect. That it is specifically the effect it's had on football finances, and we ran through the numbers as it pertains to town a couple of weeks ago, as as much as we could do. Um, but it is a, a different ball game now. And I, to be honest, I I am glad that a club is speaking out about this publicly. Uh, a championship club is speaking about, out about this publicly. But at the same time, I also understand that for town fans it is not a great look necessarily and is going to make people worry
1: yeah i and i i think that perception is the thing that is is bothering a lot of people well we know it's bothering a lot of people because we've had a lot of messages on it haven't we steve yeah (laughs) let's be honest but i the other thing is i think they need to i think they could do with talking directly to their fans be it through you or be it through another medium because the problem with going on Radio Four or going with TalkSport is you're essentially you're talking into the ether. You're, you're talking to everyone, and I think Town yeah, fans feel slightly distanced from that. Um, and I I don't think that helps when you're talking about things like this to feel that that sort of separation from people who are running your your club ultimately. So I I get the I get the slight worry. I don't get the impression that Town are in any worse position than anyone else, if I'm really, really honest. But I think what Town are incredibly keen to do is to say this is a problem so that when other people realise it's a problem, Town can say, well, yeah, we told you it was a problem. Now are you going to help us try and sort it out? And that's absolutely fine. That's, That's not a bad position to take at all. But, yeah, I do feel they could do with sort of talking to the fans um and talking directly to the fans because it's it's well a a couple of my friends anecdotally have said that they they feel like when they hear sort of Phil on Talksport or Mark Devlin on on Radio 4 they feel like they're talking about football when they should be talking about Huddersfield Town and I get that I completely get that I think it's important that they do both is what I'm saying um, I think it's important that they're out there and I think it's good that they are poking their heads above the parapet and saying things that need to be said. But I think, yeah, there is also now the time to sort of communicate with the fans directly and, and lay the position out, to be brutally honest with you. Um, and I think it's football finance is, dif- is difficult because it doesn't run like any normal business. It always feels like it's slightly shrouded in secrecy when it's it's not really. You can go and dig through a club's accounts if you really really want to or you can there are places you can go and people you can speak to who you will help you with it. but i I think across football as a whole, not just with Huddersfield Town, now is a time for clarity from all clubs. I think now is a time where you have to turn around to your fans and say, this is how the virus is affecting us. This is how not having fans in the ground is affecting us. You can't be out there. I know Preston or another club who are, are struggling, you know, quite a bit. And... They've got a lot of fans who are out there demanding transfers and are very disappointed that they haven't brought anyone else into the squad. But they are in as perilous a financial position as anybody else. It's it's this is a completely unprecedented time, and we've we've the international window is just shut. And Steve, you know because I've had a mini run about it this morning on WhatsApp. You've got a club like Arsenal, and you've got journalists who are Arsenal fans, who are absolutely falling over themselves to praise Arsenal's transfer business because they managed to find 55 million quid for Thomas Partey yesterday. And they also laid off 55 employees and they got rid of Gunnosaurus, which seems yeah. weirdly to be the final straw for a load of people.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's it, the it, representative of the club, it's, it's
1: It's not a great time to Damn. be going out there and spending vast amounts of money whilst quietly laying off hospitality staff and various other people, whoever your football club is. And all mm. I think all Phil Hodgkinson and Mark Devlin have been doing is trying to point that out, <laughs> is trying yeah. to say this is, this is the position. But, yeah, I do understand that now they could do with a little direct communication with the fans and some clarity, so the fans feel they know where they are. I think that's... Yeah. I think that's fair enough to ask for that.
0: Yeah, and, and I would agree with that. And you know, we we you know, I have tried at my end to, to try and, and get that. But I, d- I do sort of understand the position that they they perhaps don't want to go into exact specifics on the finances while the transfer window is still open. Yeah. Because, because why you're tell everybody
1: w- how much money you've got? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: At this moment. So hopefully we'll see a bit more transparency after after the window is closed and they will feel a bit more comfortable talking about these things and I, I understand that and and I get why the fans are panicking as well because when you your chairman is going on radio and saying you know or, or your chief exec is going on the on the tv and saying you know it's a doomsday scenario it comes across that this is a doomsday scenario for us because you're used to hearing from those people talking about Huddersfield down and as you say that they're, they're not doing that I think they're talk, they are well I know that they are talking about football in general and they are addressing that message to a wider audience. Mm. And let's be honest, it is a doomsday scenario. We're in a global pandemic and I think people forget that that we've almost sort of got used to it in a way. That And because football is back on TV and I know that people aren't still going to ground, so I'm not trying to patronise anyone by saying, why do you think it's gone back to normal? Because I know that people know it hasn't, but I still think that that people are not quite getting the the depth of it because this really it's hard to think of a situation other than the games being off altogether um that you could more accurately describe as a doomsday scenario than this yeah and that and that doesn't necessarily mean your club specifically is going under tomorrow it just but it means all the you know a significant chunk of the revenue as we knew it has has gone out of the club overnight
1: but you, the other side to it, and this is something that, I mean, I, I don't want to run or sound angry, but this is something that is really frustrating and winding me up at this point, is that I think there's also a level of anger from chairman and managing directors, etc. Again, across all of football, that we're in this lockdown period the rules seem to be entirely fluid and we're seeing things like boris johnson encouraging people to go to the cinema because of the closure of Cineworld. world we still can't have any level of fans in an outdoor football stadium mm. we're seeing theaters are now being allowed to reopen with certain levels of capacity we're seeing environments that are far less safe than football grounds being allowed to have fans in and if you're i feel a level of anger about that myself loads of fans feel a level of anger about that but imagine if you're a chairman at a club or a managing director at a club where that revenue is absolutely integral to the health of your business and you're still nowhere near that is just going to create a level of not only sort of anger and frustration but also a level of anxiety because we need to find a solution to this because For Huddersfield Town, I don't think necessarily having fans in before Christmas is is sort of a make or break thing. But I think not having any fans in before the end of the season is big because it's not people think that it's just the price of the ticket on the day. Uh, but it's not, it's the, no, if you can go to a game, even if it's one game in every three, you just naturally become more engaged with what's actually happening. You're more likely to go down to the club shop and buy a shirt. You're more likely to interact with something. You're more likely to get a game on iFollow that you might not have done or might have missed because you feel connected again with the football club. And this isn't Huddersfield Town. thing. This is a football thing. So it not only is it doomsday scenario, but it, football feels like it's being cut adrift compared to some industries for no other reason than the sort of inescapable conclusion that it's almost like well football fans can't be trusted which is absolute rubbish so it's it's there is a a level of frustration building from both sides it's not you know phil and, and mark aren't going on these shows and what have you just because Huddersfield Town are in this massively uh, perilous position because I don't think they are it's because to be frank I can't swear but they are something off that's the reality
0: and we know that that Phil Hodgkinson is not someone who is going to yeah yeah he doesn't
1: want to die asking does he
0: no he's not a shrinking violet and as I said I'm glad that that someone is making this case on on championship clubs behalf um i think but i get why huddersfield town fans are going yeah but why is it us um Mm. but i'm yeah i'm i'm to be honest i'm I'm glad they're doing it and you know history will prove if i'm hideously naive here but i i the impression i get from speaking to the club is it's not this isn't a please help us we're about to go out of business at all it is a a sort of a, a moral position that they're taking. Or mm. maybe moral is the wrong word, but it's a campaigning position that they're taking um it's... on behalf of the whole game, really.
1: But they'd also they would they had stuff that they wanted to implement this season, like little stuff. So um we believe that for the first time since they moved to the stadium, they were actually going to be in charge of concessions here and make some changes and actually create a bit of revenue from that stream as well. So it's just it's just so frustrating for everyone. Involved, you know that all of that has gone out of the window, and that there doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel, like there is with with other industries, and that's what football is. you know, whether we like it or not, and we can talk about community assets, etc. It is an industry, and it's it's a reaction to that. I but I I, again to come back to it without repeating myself, I completely understand why Huddersfield Town fans feel like it's hinting at something far wider with their own club and that's because they need to just just be clear with they need to talk about Huddersfield Town rather than all of football now
0: yeah I would agree with that lovely okay I think we've we've talked on long enough I mean we could certainly talk about this all day but it's a whole podcast unto itself maybe it's something that we'll we'll come back to because we do have an international break but we'll see um Dave thanks for coming on you're at David Hartrick on Twitter aren't you I am good (laughs) <laughs> and I'm Stephen Chicken on Twitter. We're at examinerhtafc. Uh, obviously, we're on examinerlive.co.uk. And yeah, tell a friend about the podcast. We never ask to leave reviews. Uh, leave a review. Why not? Uh, wherever you get your podcast. Um, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. See you there.